This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of the Arsenal Transfer Show. Joining you at 8am. This is a pre-recorded show. I'm away this weekend enjoying a much needed weekend off of doing 8am shows. But I didn't want to leave you without something. Uh, so I wanted to make sure I've got some content ready and lined up. So I'm very happy that Mr. Harry Simeon has agreed to join me for this evening's show. I say this evening, it's this morning for those watching. But uh, this evening for us. How you doing, mate? You good, Joel? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. Lapping up the World Cup. Really enjoying it so far. And um, yeah, enjoying a, a little bit of a, a break from the Arsenal chat, to be honest. I haven't done anywhere near as many podcasts as normal. Um, just kind of taking my foot off the gas a little bit to, to mm. relax. But yeah, um, the closer we get to the return of club football, the more excited I am by it. And so, yeah, yeah delighted to jump on and, and chat to you about all things Arsenal. Indeed, yeah. I, I have enjoyed that a lot. It's been one of the most chaotic World Cup kind of round three of the group stage I've seen. There's always been some kind of drama. We've just, as we're recording this, watched uh, the end of the Uruguay-Ghana game and seen both of them knocked out and somehow South Korea going through. I mean, it was only, I think, a few days ago that Hume Son was crying because he thought South Korea were going home. And now... Uh, they've taken themselves through. I think it was Huang that got a 91st minute winner in that game um, rather crazily. But yeah, what's been your kind of highlight of the World Cup so far? Um, it's hard to say, you know, one sort of, well, it's hard mm. to highlight one game in particular. I actually would quite like to see Argentina win it for obvious reasons. The yeah, me too. Messy thing. Other than England. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the Saudi Arabia moment, when Saudi Arabia mm. beat them was obviously big. I enjoyed Japan beating Germany. I've enjoyed the shocks because yeah. what that's done is almost reignited the World Cup at points where it was just because obviously we had the first game of the World Cup, right? We had Qatar against Ecuador. It was really underwhelming. Qatar were terrible. Mm. Ecuador were really, really comfortable. And you thought, well, you know, where's this tournament going? And then bang, you get that result. Argentina uh, lose to Saudi Arabia and you think the World Cup's here. And then you get... Japan beating Germany as well. And obviously Japan have gone on to win the group beating Spain as well. I think their story has probably been the highlight for me so far. And, mm. you know, we've seen things like Belgium crashing out prematurely, the end of the golden generation, the Germans struggling as well. And what what you've had is a, a lot of shocks and a lot of entertainment, which is something you don't always get a World Cup. Sometimes the group stages can be quite tedious and boring, but I think this one's kept us interested. Yeah, it's been it's been entertaining. I think my I think last night, you know, watching I say last night, two nights ago, if you're watching this now on Saturday morning, but seeing Japan top that group was incredible. Uh, really, really was. Uh, it was such a chaotic kind of end, and it 
to see them beat both Spain and Germany and lose to Costa Rica kind of sums up the chaotic, how chaotic this World Cup I think has been uh, so far and should make for a hopefully entertaining uh, knockout rounds as well as we progress into those uh, over the course of the weekend. But this this show today uh, is all about transfers and Arsenal transfer targets. Uh, we're going to run through and discuss each of kind of the main ones that have been linked to the club in both the forward line and the midfield. Now, I picked those two positions in particular because I think that they're the main two that Arsenal are going to be looking at. Would you... I mean, I remember when we were chatting, I think it was the end of last last season's January window. I mean, you kind of uh, parted in terms of our view on, on the end of the window and we had a big debate around whether or not we made the right choices of signing players or not. I remember I was sitting there saying to you, we should have signed Arta Cabral, who has gone on to Fiorentino and done jack, <laughs> like done absolutely nothing, um, which is just the way things go. And I remember you saying to me that you felt as though, you know, if we, if we can't find the quality, you know, we shouldn't rush into those signings. And I think that what we've seen is obviously Arsenal uh, were part affected because they didn't reinforce. But at the same time, there was an argument, there was a lack of real options out there in the January window to strengthen. So going into this one, What's your kind of expectation considering the difference of where we are compared to where we were a year ago? And also, I think, a much more open window in terms of players that you could be able to get this time around. I think the the, the transfer window this time is going to be really interesting because the expectation levels around Arsenal right now um, are, are much higher than I ever envisaged them being at this point in the mm-hmm. season. I thought, Going into the campaign, if we were in a good position, a strong position to compete for a top four place, which is ultimately what we would have been setting out to do by the World Cup, I'd have been pretty happy and content with that. And instead, we find ourselves five points clear at the top of the Premier League. And you're looking at it and you're going, well, this is an opportunity now to potentially double down and go out there and and, and make the difference with the transfer window. The only thing I would say, though, is that just like I was cautious going into last January, around the need to sign quality, the right types of characters, and not to just be so obsessed with going out and bringing in players that we make rash and silly decisions, because we've seen in the past that that can set us back. I feel like that again, in that if we're going to go out and bring in a couple of players, which is what I'd like to see, they've got to be players that come in and impact straight away. They've got to be players that, and when I say straight away, I don't mean the next day. You know, I know that it takes a few weeks and, You know, sometimes players need that settling in period, but you need to bring in ready-made players. You need to bring in players that are going to impact you from the off, that are going to help you from the beginning. Otherwise, what's the point in doubling down? The whole point is to add strength in depth so that we can pursue the Premier League title, if that's what we think we're going to do and, and what we think we should be doing, and securing that Champions League football for next season, which is the first objective. Um, But having said that, You don't want to drift too far away from the transfer policy that has seen us over the last couple of years make progress and get ourselves back into a position where we feel that we're moving in the right direction. So it's a really difficult balance to find because you want players for the future, players for the longer term, but you also want players that help your current situation. If you're going to go and sign another 17, 18 year old winger who's an unknown quantity, Mm. we've already got some of those. You know, if that's what if that's what you're thinking, then I think you're thinking along the wrong lines. So it's got to be players that can help now, but also fit into the long-term transfer recruitment strategy. And that's not always easy to find, which is why last year I wasn't massively upset at the fact that we decided against uh, doing that. But, you know, it's a tough balance to find. I mean, I don't know what you think. 
Yeah, I think that I think if we come out of this window having signed nobody, I'm going to be gutted. Um, really, really gutted um, because I think it is this time around. You know, last season I think that you know I was maybe scrounging a bit at the bottom of the barrel for options. You know, for us to go and get uh, to try and change things. And even though I think that missing out on potential signings or maybe not finding somebody uh, in that window and not replacing obviously Abamyang who left did cost us this season with where we are um, to consolidate the Champions League qualification, which you mentioned, you know, that's important. You know, it's not just about trying to maintain a gap or even just competing with City. The aim this season for me was always, we have to, as a minimum, get back into the Champions League. And if you don't sign anyone in January and we get a couple of injuries, with the way this league is, you can easily slip and things can slip quickly, uh, very quickly indeed. I mean, it's not a halfway point that we're at right now. We're like, you know, a third, just over a third of the way through the season. I think we've got four or five more games until we actually reach that halfway point in the Premier League. So it's we can't let up and we need to keep kind of our, our, our foot on the neck of the tiger, if you like, um, in, in a sense. And I think to do that, we are going to have to reinforce. And I am expecting us to add two players in this window. If we get one, I think I'd rather it was a forward player. And I'll, I'll ask you as your preference at the end of the show when we've gone through all of our, our targets. But for me, I think I would look to that forward line and go, I'm kind of happy that Elneny can back up Partey if he can stay fit. But if you lose any of Jesus, Martinelli and Saka, I know we've got Smith-Rowe, but it's coming back off surgery. So we don't really know what kind of Smith-Rowe we're getting back. If you lose yeah. any of those, I've got concerns. Let's... um. Let's go to the targets. We're starting, we're kind of doing the opposite of a festival and beginning with the headline act, if you will, and starting with Mikhailo Mudrik, uh, who is, of course, the main guy being discussed. Uh, firstly, I mean, what do you make of this guy? He's got so far this season, four shots and it's three goals, two assists in uh, six Champions League games and seven goals and six assists in 12 Ukrainian League games. For a 21-year-old, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I really like the look of him. I like the look of him based on what I've seen. And it's, uh, granted, I haven't sat and watched many yeah. Shakhtar Donetsk games. I've kept tabs on him since, obviously, those links first started emerging. And I've seen a bit of him in the Champions League. And he looks, by all intents and purposes, a really talented player and a really talented young lad who would certainly add another option in our wide areas and, and would give us something that, you know, I, I think we're missing in the sense of a little bit of depth in that area. Um, as you say, we don't know what Emil Smith-Rowe is going to come back like. I would argue that Emil Smith-Rowe is not your traditional winger anyway. Um, I know at the start of last season, he played quite well, drifting in off the left-hand side. But I think now with the way we play, when you're asking Xhaka, for example, to get forward into that half space, you actually want someone who can hold the width quite well. And Smith-Rowe isn't going to do that. It's his natural inclination is to drift in field, I think. Mudrik physically looks quite strong as well. Mm. Um, I don't look at him and think he's a bit slight or that he, he might struggle with the Premier League. I look at him as someone who I think could come in and, and have an instant impact. But there are a couple of red flags for me. So the first one is the obvious one, and that's the price. Yeah. Okay, I, I don't expect Shakhtar to demand what they're publicly asking for. I think that's over the top. I think he'd probably be available for less than that. But if you're talking 50, 60, 70 million pounds, maybe that, you know, if you're talking top whack, I think that it's it's quite a big risk. I do because of where he's playing. And again, that sounds a bit snob like snobbish and I'm not <laughs> wanting to come across that way. But, yeah, you know, I've got less faith and less confidence in somebody coming from the Ukrainian league 
than I would if he was in La Liga and doing it or in Serie A and doing it or the Bundesliga and doing it. So I like the look of him. If the price is right, I definitely make this move. But I'm struggling to work out what in my own mind is the right price because, yeah, you know, it, it's really hard to gauge how good he is on a very small sample size of Champions League games mm -hmm. because I almost want to dismiss what he's doing domestically. I don't know. I don't know if you think I'm being you, fair or, or harsh. No, I think you are being fair. Uh, I think, and I talk about it a lot, doing, you know, doing a transfer show every day, that every transfer has a risk associated with it. And so, you know, we bring it up and I think there's a measured risk with each one. I think you can reduce the risk. We're obviously signing a player that's played more games at an elite level. But if you're signing someone who's young, you know, that's never going to be a guarantee. And we've also obviously seen players like Gabriel Martinelli come from Brazil, not even the top league in Brazil, you know, someone from Ituano playing in the Sao Paulo leagues and do brilliantly. So it's... I would never say to someone that you should dismiss a, a target because of where they play, but I would always say that you should be bearing that in mind when you're considering what they're producing and where they're producing it, because it should be something that comes into play. But it's, it's not yeah. a dismissing factor, I don't think, but it's certainly something to consider. The price is, is you know, 100 million euros is what Shakhtar reportedly wanted is a joke. And like, no one's going to pay that. So they can say that all they like. No one's going to pay 100 million for him. I think that you're looking around the, the 40 to 50 million pounds figure as a more realistic. And I always talk about with this forward position, Diogo Jota is the prime example of what Arsenal need. I think Arsenal needs someone that can do what Jota has done by covering for Salah, Firmino and Mane when they've needed. They've had someone who can come in and do that. Now, he was signed for 41 million, which rose, I think, with add-ons to 45 million pounds, young player. And the difference with that is that he's got Premier League quality. You know, he was playing for Wolves and he played in the Championship as well and came up with Wolves when they were promoted and got experience playing at Atletico Madrid and Porto as well before that. So th th there is differences, but I think Jota is a bit of a unicorn signing as well. And I don't think you're going to be able to find someone, you know, that's going to give you what he ever thought that, you know, Liverpool got. And I think that was a very, very, one of the smartest signings that they ever made as a club. So... Mudrik, I think, is a player that is perfect to come in and support the three players that currently start in the forward line. Even though I know he doesn't play as a striker and hasn't really played on the right, I think that Gabriel Martinelli's versatility actually will help with that more so than Mudrik's lack of versatility. So I like him. Um, out of 10, if we signed him in terms of how how excitable you would be with this one. We'll do this for each one. Uh, it's difficult to kind of measure, not in terms of likelihood, but more in so in how much you'd like this to happen out of 10. Putting the price aside, I'll probably mm. look at about seven out of 10 because I really like the player. I'm just, yeah, yeah. I'm very conscious of the mistakes that Arsenal have made in their recent history, which is going out, overpaying for players that just weren't up to it. And the knock-on effect that has in terms of the way it restricts you moving forward. And, you mm -hmm. know, Arsenal's, at the time of recording, Arsenal's financial results came out again mm -hmm. um, earlier today. And there was a loss again, yeah. um, which we less expected. Of loss, less of a loss. Yeah, <laughs> still a loss. Yeah. And um, and I think at some point the bubble's going to burst in that mm. KSE have done great over the last couple of years and they've backed and supported Mikel Arteta. But we also know what their underlying kind of principle is. And that mm. is that the club is going to move towards once again, as it was in the past, being self-sustainable. And so to think that we're just going to keep lumping money on um, at every opportunity is unrealistic. There's going to come a point where this stops and then the recruitment has to be spot on. You have to minimise the mistakes you make. 
And if you sign Mikhailo Mudrik for 35, 40 million pounds and it doesn't work out, well, that's about a standard transfer fee nowadays and you move on from it. But if you're going to go 70 plus million, which is yeah. what is being talked about, then that is has the potential to have a knock-on effect. And, and so I'd be less excited about the transfer because the element of risk would outweigh what I think we're going to get in terms of positivity. So, yeah, it's a hard one, really hard. But on the player himself, about seven. Yeah, I'd, I'd say seven, seven, eight. Uh, I don't really like using point fives, but yeah. So I think I'll stretch to an eight if I was. I would be very happy with Madrid if he came in. Um, Cody Gakpo is the next one. Um, looks more likely, if anything, not to join Arsenal and more likely to move to Manchester United at this stage. He has 36 goal contributions this season, which is the exact same as he managed in all of last season. I thought that was an impressive tally, you know, last season. So to have 36 again by this point, shows you kind of the the out, outlay and, you know, the output that he can have uh, in a side. There's something about Arsenal, though, that, that I get the sense from, you know, the way in which they're approaching this window, that they're not convinced by Gakpo, that there is something, I think, holding Arsenal back from going for him. Because I think if they really did like him, they would have already got him um, and they really would have pushed for him. But they haven't. So what have you? What do you make of Gakpo? And do you think Arsenal are making a mistake by not really pushing for him or not having done so sooner? Well, we got a glimpse of Cody Gakpo in those two games against PSV Eindhoven, and I have to say, I was I was very curious to see what he was going to deliver, and I've watched him at the World Cup as well, mm-hmm. and I think what you get out of Cody Gakpo is, as you've described, outputs. Right, you get goals, you get assists, you get impact in the final third. What I think might be the reason that Arsenal are, as you say, a little bit reluctant perhaps to to really go big on Cody Gakpo is what he does in the build-up. I don't know that he he's that effective in the build-up. I don't know that he's an effective presser. That's the first thing. And that is something that obviously Mikel Arteta demands. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's got the positional discipline when you revert back into a defensive shape. And I think, although, as I say, he has an impact in terms of what he produces, goals, assists, I think he goes through large periods of games without being very involved, particularly in this Dutch side where I have paid a lot of attention over the mm-hmm. last few weeks. I, I just, I, I look at him and I think, yeah, he's the man most likely. But when I think of the Dutch sides of the past, I'm trying to work out in my own head, whether that's because he's the best of a bad bunch or because he really is the real deal. And I, I I'm not a hundred percent convinced that he is the real deal at this moment in time. I think if you had the Dutch squad of 10 years ago, Cody Gakpo probably doesn't even get in it. I yeah. think the Eredivisie level is lower than it's ever been. Uh, and, and this is me not trying to, this is not me trying to have a go at the player, but yeah. I, I understand why there is a reluctance to go big because after this World Cup, having scored a couple of goals at the finals already, is it two or three? I can't remember. Three, got, three and three, three he's got, yeah. Having managed that, you know full well that his price has just gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that reflects the player that you'd be getting if you go and break the bank. I'm, I'm just yeah. not 100% sure on him. No, that's fair. I think there's a really good comparison in the sense of Steven Bergwijn um, when he was at yeah. PSV. 
He got 28 goal contributions in the, in the full season before he left and joined Spurs. In the When he was leaving, uh, he got five goals and 10 assists in 16 Eredivisie games and then joined Spurs in January. He got then three goals and one assist uh, in 14 games for Spurs under Jose Mourinho. Uh, and then in the following season in 2021, he got one goal and four assists in 21 games. Now, I'm not going to be naive and say that's obviously immediately transmissible to Gakpo because it would be silly to go, that's happened to one player, it will happen to the other. But I think it's a good kind of measuring stick and kind of grounding point for expectations. Uh, I've I've watched Gakpo as well at this tournament and I, and I was talking to Dan actually on his channel just uh, earlier on about this, is that outside of the goal that he scores in each game, he is, as you said, out of the performance quite a lot. Um and I'm not sure whether that can be afforded at Arsenal because you look at Jesus, he's on a goal-scoring drought right now, but he is integral in every win that we have because of the way that he plays. So he might not score, but his performance is integral. Now, if Gakpo's scoring, great, he's getting goals. But I just worry in those games where he doesn't score that he is ineffectual. Whereas you look at someone like Jesus or Martinelli or Saka, when they don't score, but we still win, they've been a big part of that win, even though they didn't score or assist during those games. And that's the kind of concern I have. And I think that's probably the concern that Arsenal have and why they haven't pushed through. So out of 10, if we signed him, what would you go for? Uh, about a seven again, because I think yeah. he'd give us, as you said, the outputs, the goals. But knowing what we know about Mikel Arteta and what he demands... And knowing that somebody like Gabriel Jesus, who even, as you say, is going for a mm. goal drought, is still valued based upon his work ethic and all the tying together of play that he does. I, I don't see how Mikel Arteta could look at Cody Gakpo and think, yeah, you would give me that in his absence. I just don't see that side of his game. And again, I could be wrong, right? Because I haven't watched a lot of him in full. I've watched him twice against Arsenal and I've watched him three times at the World Cup so far. I appreciate that that's not a big sample size, but there are things, there are elements to Cody Gakpo's game that I think are probably missing when I when I line that up against what I think Mikel Arteta is looking for in a forward. That's fair enough. Uh, the next one is probably someone you've watched even less of, Harry, um, and that's Facundo Torres. And I'm with you on this. I've not seen anything uh, really if kind of besides uh, little compilation clips which obviously mean he's as good as Lionel Messi if you've ever watched <laughs> any compilation clips um he currently this season has nine or had nine goals and eight assists in the MLS season uh, which obviously is, is quite good um 22 years of age so he's older than both Gakpo and Mudrik but does seem to be quite heavily linked with a move to Arsenal what what do you make of this profile I'm not I'm not keen on this guy um yeah based on the little that I know, it, it doesn't jump out at me. It's not one that I go, you know, when you, you, you listed all the names off to me before we started mm -hmm. about the players that we're going to talk about, if if we were playing a game of like avoid or whatever that game is, bin, <laughs> game of avoid. Have you been playing? <laughs> yeah, what's it called? Bin, marry, of, what is it? Oh snog, yeah. Yeah. Snog, marry, marry, avoid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would be in my avoid section. At all so you're all saying time. that you'd snog Cody Gakpo? Is that what you're... <laughs> Maybe Mikhailo Mudrik. For... No, I'm kidding. Okay. I just, I don't know. I, I just, this one just, it doesn't appeal to me in any way, shape or form. And if I'm going to sit there and say that I'm worried about a player making the transition from the Ukrainian league or the Dutch league, mm. how can I not feel that way about MLS? I know that mm. MLS is on the rise and it's improving and the popularity of soccer in the States is increasing all the time and that the, the standard is getting better but I just I don't look at the MLS as a a place where talent is 
being breeded regularly, if that makes sense. I, I look at it as a retirement home rather than anything else. And that's going to sound really harsh. Sophie's yeah. going to kill me yeah. when she sees that. But I just, I just don't, I just don't see it. I, I, I would never go out and break the bank for somebody whose record in the MLS is okay. Because mm-hmm. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, you know, I, what I would say in defense of MLS is that the, the development is improving a lot. And I think also in Canada as well, the introduction of the, the CSL and the Canadian Super League that's also been established, and it's a very young league, but it's also improving development in North America and Canada in particular, is that yeah. what we're seeing produced is is players that are starting to move to uh, Europe at a young age. Uh, you see it with Brendan Aronson, you know, who's gone to Salzburg and then gone to Leeds, and he's shown to be a player of a level of quality, but he's had to take steps, you know, to get there. And I'm just not sure for the what we're looking for in this window that signing someone from the MLS who looks a good talent is what we should be aiming for we need to be I think looking for a competitor not a project and I think that even though Mikhail Mudrik to a sense is still a bit of a project he's young I still look at him as someone I think who can push the players in the front line I'm not sure Torres would I'd give Torres a solid four and I think that might be even a bit generous um so are you looking around that as well or lower yeah, probably lower for me, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking, I'm just working out if he's in the Uruguay squad. At the he is in the Cup. squad. And I don't he's think he's sp- played. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's not had a minute yet. So, and he, mm-hmm. he's an attacking player and they've been in a couple of situations where they've needed to, uh, you know, to dig themselves out of a hole, including today when they needed a, another yep. goal and at no point have they turned to him. I, I just... I, I again, I accept that I haven't seen a lot, but that there's not yeah. enough evidence there to suggest that Arsenal should be digging deeper into this one. This is one that I would shelve and move on. Agreed. Uh, the next one is Ferran Torres. Uh, so kind of one end of the spectrum of Torres is to the other, because uh, we know all about Ferran Torres. Played at the top level for a while now and uh, accrued quite a number of transfer fees in his time as well, despite being still very young. Um, still sitting at the age of 22, having played for Valencia, Barcelona and Manchester City, of course, where he signed from Valencia before moving to Barca. And he's only been at Barca for six months. But that hasn't stopped links with him and Arsenal uh, being generated. In fact, there was even rumours that in the summer, Arsenal put in a bid at the end of the window that was turned down. I can't say I can corroborate those claims, but I certainly can't say that they're they're incorrect because um, they did come from quite some you know reasonable places. What do you make of Ferran Torres and what do you make of him as a potential option in January? Well, this is a much more appealing prospect. This is a guy who's moved from Valencia to Manchester City and then, of course, has ended up back at Barcelona, has scored a couple of goals at the World Cup so far, has got a couple of goals uh, in La Liga. He's had an impact in the Champions League, although Barcelona's uh, Champions League campaign hasn't gone as they would have liked. This is a guy who's proven it on the European and in the last couple of weeks on the world stage as well, that he can be a force. My only reservation about Ferran Torres is I don't really know what he is. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't really know yeah. what he is. Is he a winger? That's what I thought he was when Manchester yeah. City brought him in. Then he was being utilised as a false nine. I watch him sometimes at Barcelona and sometimes he plays like a false nine. Sometimes he plays from a flank. I worry about where he fits into the picture. And I know we've discussed in the past that actually maybe that's a good idea to go and get yeah. someone who can play across those two positions. But I think Ferran Torres is someone who's, you know that old saying, you can be... Uh, a jack of all trades, but a master, master of none. That's where I feel like Ferran Torres is at in his career. And I think he needs to make a decision um, and and sort of stick to it. He needs to voice his concerns. I, this thing about, 
oh, this guy can play anywhere across the forward line. Great. It looks nice on paper, but where are you at your best? Where are you at your most effective? Because if you're truly a top-class player, your position should be nailed down, right? We know that Sadio Mane is great from the left. We know that Mohamed Salah is great from the right. We know that Martinelli is excellent from the left, and we know that Saka is good from the right. Yes, in theory, they could play in a multitude of positions. Mm. But if you don't have a a, a, a go-to position, that makes me think that you're not so good that a manager is forced to put you in every week and instead you're a little bit of a filler. And I think the fact that Manchester City, with Pep Guardiola at the helm, who, who knows all about the Spanish market, brought this guy in and very quickly decided that they would accept an offer and mm-hmm. allow him to leave. And he never really put up a fight to keep him suggests to me that either... That's the issue, the, the not really uh-huh. knowing what he is or that the Premier League might have been a stretch too far for him. So, um, yeah, I, I like this one more than than Facundo Torres, mm-hmm. but it's still not one I'd be going crazy about. Yeah, I like Ferran Torres. Um, you know, I, I think that with Man City, he kind of, he falls a bit, you know, with his numbers into the Jack Grealish kind of area that, you know, Jack Grealish hasn't got loads of goals and assists for Man City, but performance-wise, produced some really good displays um, for Man City. And I think that Ferran Torres falls into that category. On leaving City, I think that with that, Man City received an offer that they simply couldn't turn down because I think it was something like 55 million euros um, they got offered. And for a player like Jesus, who isn't starting week in, week out, you know, for a player that's coming in, as you say, and I think it's a fair point as filler, you know, as utility and can offer you competition and cover in different positions, that was just far too much money to ever say no to. I worry that that's what it would take again to get him out of Barcelona just, you know, less than a year or so, or just over a year after he did leave for Barcelona. But I like him and I think that I think he needs the right club. And, you know, Arteta has worked with him at Man City, so he's familiar with what his talents are. He's familiar with what he could do. Um, And I think that if he was to sign for Arsenal this winter, it would represent a really good competitive option to come in. Um, But I do agree with you with a lot of what you said about specificity and, you know, trying to find where you are the most effective. Because Valencia was a right midfielder in a 4-4-2 quite a lot, played in central midfield as well on a number of occasions and has gone to Man City, played right, played left, played up front, gone to Barca, can't get in ahead of Depay for a number of times. Obviously couldn't get in ahead of Aubameyang uh, when he was there as well. And now with Lewandowski, you've got little chance and can't get ahead of the likes of Ansu Fati, etc. Um, as well, he's a very good player. But, you know, if you're signing for 55 million euros and you're not playing, you've got to ask the question as to why. I'd probably give this around a six uh, out of 10. Uh, would you give this one briefly? Yeah, I think six as well. I think six is fair. Lovely stuff. Uh, let's move on to uh, probably the most interesting one of the list, actually, um, in Jesper Lindstrom uh, of Frankfurt and Denmark. Obviously uh, knocked out of the World Cup with Denmark, who very much disappointed. But I thought that the, the brightest spark in that Denmark team was Jesper Lindstrom. And I think in their last game in particular against Australia, Denmark played this game where they were just very slow throughout the whole tournament and never really kind of fulfilled what people are expecting. But Lindstrom was the only one providing them with any explosiveness and pace and and a threat. And this season for Frankfurt, he has done very well. Six goals and two assists in 14 games, playing in an attacking midfield and a left wing role. He's playing in a number of positions and doing well. And certainly one of the big reasons why they were able to to get into the Champions League and also compete in the Champions League and also do quite well in, in, in the Bundesliga. So what do you make of Jesper Lindstrom as a player? 
really like him. Really, really like him. I think he'd be a great addition. But there's always a but. It feels like mm-hmm. I'm shooting them all down today. But there is a but. And yep. the but is for me, I don't really see this as a priority position. I don't really see an attacking creative midfielder as something that we should be rushing to do ahead of some of the other bits of business. Um, I know, again, people will make the argument that, yes, Berlinstrom can play maybe a little bit deeper, maybe as an eight, maybe on on one of the flanks if you need him to. But I just I just think what was the point in bringing Fabio Vieira in if yeah. you're months later going to go and get Jesper Lindstrom? As I say, really like the player. You mentioned his Bundesliga return, which has been really positive. You're right that he's one of the few Danish players that leaves the World Cup with his head held high. Um, and he's at an interesting age and he's at a point in his career where you hope that he's only going to get better. But for me, it's about priorities here. And I don't see this as a priority. I don't see him as a player that we need to be rushing to get, not because I don't like him, but simply because I think, you know, Xhaka plays in an eight role at the moment. You know, Odegaard plays on the other side. Vieira is the natural deputy to them. who We've mm. just dropped 35, 40 million pounds on uh, already. And yes, we could probably do with another one in terms of depth to move forward and, and continue building. But is that at the top of my priority list? It's not even third in my list, mm. if I'm being honest. So I, I'm I'm not doing this one in January. It's interesting because, you know, that that is the opinion that I held when I first saw the links um, to, to Lindstrom, that he kind of, and I remember talking to Clive, in, in fact, from you know, AVP about this and talking at length, you know, do we, we've got Vieira, we've got Erdogan, we've got Smith-Rowe. Lindstrom yep. kind of fulfills that that in my mind and as Clive does with his ways, uh, <laughs> kind of convinced me actually that from what you, when you watch Lindstrom and his technical ability actually kind of looks like a player that is going to develop more into a wide role than in this middle part. I need to see more, but I often then criticize Arsenal and say, we, we hold too long before we then go and sign someone. Maybe it's Lindstrom comes to Arsenal and finds that, at Arsenal in a wide position that that is in fact where his future is but there is obviously risk associated with that and I think that he would still be pretty pricey as Frankfurt don't tend to like to sell for you know on the cheap to Premier League sides in particular so it would be pricey I still think this is about a seven but I I think that you're going to give it significantly lower because of your positional concerns yeah I'm going to give it a five because of my positional concerns if you if you earmark him as a player that you're going to develop into a wide player so think back to when Arsene Wenger signed Thierry Henry, right? The intention mm. was always that he was going to turn him into a centre forward. And Arsene Wenger felt that he had the attributes to be able to do that and that he as a manager could could make that happen, could could transition him in that way. If you think you can do that with Jesper Lindstrom, then it's a totally different argument. If you think that you're going out there to bring him in as a wide player, mm-hmm. I'm all for it because I think he's got a lot of ability and I think he could develop into a very good wide player. But you've got to decide whether you want to take that risk or if you think there's a more natural option uh, available to you. And so if we're talking about Jesper Lindstrom based on where he's played to date, then it's not for me. But if you're looking at him and thinking that he can do a different role and develop into a different type of player, then then I'm much more open to it. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, just for the numbers wise, in attacking midfield, he's scored seven and got two assists in 16 games. He's played one game, uh, scored one goal on the right wing in four games and scored none or assists, no assists either on the left wing. That's this season. But who knows? Maybe it's someone that can develop more so into those wider positions. We move more deeper now into the midfield, which is the other area. And the obvious headline act in terms of that is the Brazilian Danilo 
uh, playing for Palmeiras, of course, and has a very good goal-scoring record, despite being a player that is, is tends to play kind of deeper in the midfield as well, but has the associated risk, of course, of playing for a side that is playing in the Brazilian league. Uh, I listened and watched uh, AVP's scouting video on him, and the kind of the running theme of this is that at 21 years of age, he looks like a player who's 21 years of age. He's still very raw. He makes mistakes. He can be overconfident. He can take the ball into situations where he should probably be smarter and can lose it. But there is clearly a lot of talent in this kid. And there's a reason why, you know, Arsenal have followed him for such a length and period of time. In fact, I know for a fact that, you know, we've been out to scout Palmeiras for Endrick, as well as have pretty much every big club on the planet at this point. But it was kind of a situation whereby Danilo was a bit of a bonus in that sense because we've discovered a midfielder that could be the player that comes in and is the long-term replacement for the likes of El Elneny and Laconga in midfield, but not necessarily the player that replaces Partey in the long term. But what do you make of him for a January signing? If, if it were me and I thought that Danilo had the talent to go on and be a successful Premier League player in the future... I'd be quite happy to leave this one until the summer, mm. if I'm being honest. And the reason for that is it goes back to what I said right at the start of the show. I want players, if, if we're talking about doubling down so that we can go on and achieve our goals this season, I want players that come in and help us now, today, mm. not tomorrow, not in a month's time, not in, in two months' time. I want, I want quality now. And my opinion of Danilo is very similar to that of yours that he looks like he can develop into a great player, but he's still a little bit rough around the edges. Sambi Laconga is rough around the edges. So what's the difference? True. What what are you yeah. what are you adding here? If you're going out and adding a seasoned professional that you have full faith in can come in and replace Thomas Partey in his absence, I'm all for that. But if you're going to go and take another risk, then we've already taken a risk and we probably should give it a little bit more time to breathe with Sambi Laconga before we go out and do that again. It just, I understand the hype around Danilo. And mm-hmm. when we were first linked, I'd done a podcast about him as well and talked about the fact that I thought, yeah, this would be a good addition. But the more I delve into him and the more I hear about him, the more I read about him, the more I think that it's evident that, as you said, he's not quite ready now. And I'm not sure that I want us to be looking at players that are risks and gambles again. Mm. As you said, every transfer is a gamble. Every transfer has an element of risk. But to me right now, we need an upgrade on Lokonga and Elneny. That's what I'm looking for in this window. I'm not looking for someone who might be that in a year's time or two years' time. I need it now. So out of 10? Six. Yeah, I think that six is fair. And I think for the reasons you've highlighted, it's fair. Uh, And I agree with you. I think that if Arsenal are looking to bring in a midfielder, and I think that we look at both Partey and Xhaka's positions of areas that need competition rather than just cover, if if it means we're going to bring in a midfield for either of those two areas, I'd rather that the competition comes in in January and is there to give us that immediate quality 
and that we do wait until the summer to bring in someone who's going to be more of a project or to replace an El Nene or replace a Lakonga. I think that is smarter. Uh, however, I can see this deal happening in January. Um, and I, you know, I, I've given it a solid seven or eight out of 10 in terms of likelihood. So we'll see what happens. Um, and we'll see how he adapts if indeed he does arrive. And maybe he'll uh, really prove us wrong and please us. I hope that he does if he does. Um, Yuri Tillemans is more of the profile that you would imagine would be more of an impact player and someone that doesn't need transition because he already plays in the Premier League. So Again, someone that Arsenal have not been keen to pay a lot of money for and very keen to kind of be patient with. And, you know, as I reported in the summer, Edu was always keen to kind of do this when he runs out in the summer as a free. And the only reason why Arsenal would really accelerate plans is A, because, you know, other targets don't work out or because someone else comes in in January and threatens to take the player away from Arsenal. What do you make of of Tielemans as an option? I'd go and get him. I'd have gone and got him before... Um, I think if you really push Leicester, you could make it happen uh, because obviously we all know that Leicester's financial situation is not great. We all know that they're struggling at the moment. We all know that there's a an imbalance in their squad in terms of money. And I would have tried to capitalise on the fact that they had a dreadful, dreadful start to the Premier League season. I'd have been using that as a bargaining chip. I'd have been using that to get inside the player's head. I'd have been using that to try and force a Leicester, a Leicester side in a club that were probably panicking internally at that mm-hmm. point. There yeah. was, you know, there was uncertainty around Brendan Rodgers' future at that point. There's uncertainty about where they go financially. I would have, that's what big clubs do. They find vulnerable clubs and they, they try and take advantage of their situations. It sounds horrible. It's a dog eat dog world. You go in, you take advantage, just like, we were picked apart when we were building the stadium yeah, of and all of that. You go and do that to people. That's what big clubs do. And I'm disappointed that we didn't try and make that happen before. But again, we've then gone and got Fabio Vieira since. Mm. And again, I would question what what Tielemans is going to bring. And I'd say that he brings more of an eight profile yeah. than a six profile. So then it depends on whether you think Xhaka can play as the six. I don't. I think that we've seen a dramatic increase in his performances since he's moved out of that position. Mm-hmm. And I don't really want to put him there. But if it's a last resort, it's still probably more... I, I'd still prefer Xhaka in, at the six than Lokonga right now. So Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's not the worst thing in the world. If you bring in Tillemans and Partey's injured, I, over Elneny or uh, Lokonga, I probably would agree with you and play Xhaka. Yeah. Um, I think Tillemans would need to put in a defensive work. You know, I think he would have to work back. Just lastly and briefly, because I'm conscious of the time, his poor form has turned a lot of people off him this season. Do you put that more down to Leicester than you do him? Or do you think there is a there is criticism to be had of, of him this season? I think there is criticism to be had of his performances. I think there's no getting away from that. But as you say, Leicester have been dreadful, you know, up until... The last few weeks before the the season paused, they they weren't very good. I think there's been uncertainty around him, which impacts. I really do. I think that it's impossible for a player to block out that kind of noise. I think there was uncertainty around the manager, which would have affected Yuri Tielemans, who's being, on the one hand, sort of courted by Leicester City to commit his future to the club and Mm. sign a new contract. But by that same token... You don't know what's going to happen with the manager. You might sign a new contract and they go and hire someone that you don't get on with that doesn't appreciate your quality. So I think all of that has had an impact on Yuri Tielemans. 
Um, surprised he didn't play more at the World Cup, to be honest. Um, it was left out a couple of times and, and I yeah. looked at it and went, it doesn't really make sense to me when you look at the alternatives. But I think under Mikel Arteta, he can he can really take it up a level. I think he's got all the attributes needed. But somebody needs to just breathe some life into him and, and get him motivated again. And I think he's at the point where he now needs to move on to find that motivation. He's got three goals in the Premier League this season, mm. in 15 games, despite obviously <laughs> Leicester's shit form and, and all the rest of it. But yeah, I, I would, I'd still be interested in him. And if we can do this one, if not completely free, but on the cheap in January, and it will be on the cheap because of, mm. of the situation with Leicester, then, then I'm, I'm all for this one. Um, lastly is a player that I know you'll know plenty about from playing in Serie A of course and has seen more recent links to Arsenal and actually has a history of Arsenal because he played for Arsenal um, never played a senior game for us but played in the youth side and eventually left for Empoli before then leaving for Milan and we didn't take up our first refusal uh, clause when he did move from Empoli to Milan all those years ago I say all those years ago it wasn't that long ago but he's become a really good midfielder uh, in that time. So Ismail Benacer, uh, what do you make of him? Yeah, I really like him. Really like him. 25 years old. He's at that point in his career where he very much is ready to come in and help out now and today. I think he's really comfortable in possession. I think he'd play that DM role, the, the six role really well in that I'd, I'd trust him to receive the ball off of the back line. Um, I trust him to break the lines. I think he's very capable of doing that. He's very combative as well, um, which people don't always associate with the Serie A, but there are a lot of a lot of teams that will try and ruffle your feathers. There are a lot of teams oh. that are specialists in the dark arts, shall we say, and Benacer oh. always seems to stand up to that quite well. Uh, plays a lot for Milan. He's a regular. He's been in the starting 11, 80% of the time in the Serie A this season and played all of their Champions League games. He started every single one. So clearly a very important player in Stefano Pioli's eyes. Um, there were a lot of concerns about Milan's midfield having lost Frank Kessie at the back end uh, of last season. It was clear that he was moving on. But Benacer has been, uh, along with Tonali, very, very impressive and, and someone that I'd, if we can make it happen, if the price is right, um, I would go for him. And as much as Milan are a big club and are challenging for the Scudetto again and are in the Champions League and all of that, the glitz and glamour of the Premier League usually wins. The financial muscle of the Premier League normally wins. And I think that this is somebody that if we really wanted, we could go out and get him. But there's always that thing, isn't there, Tom, when you go back and bring in a player that you let go. Yeah. That you're almost admitting that you were wrong. And I think a lot of clubs, with the exception of maybe Chelsea, who do it quite frequently, um, are reluctant to do that. So I think that would be something that maybe puts Arsenal off. But me, I'm all for it. Yeah, look, um, I, I from the little I've seen of him, um, I think that he would be able to be, uh, he's shown quality in the Champions League. Uh, I, you know, defer to your judgment as well on a player like, well, like this. And from what he, you know, having that unfinished business element as well from his time at Arsenal, I think maybe could work in our favour. Uh, I think we can play the wages that he's after. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why Arsenal couldn't uh, kind of muscle their way into a potential deal. And I'd rather see us sign in than Chelsea, that's for sure. Um, just very quickly, uh, Kenny, like you said, obviously plays um, deeper in the midfield. I've seen him play in the centre midfield as well as an eight. Do you think that, you know, he could potentially say if play with Partey, not necessarily just play instead of Partey? Yeah, I think particularly in those away games where you're 
wanting to be a little bit more reserved. Um, mm. I think he can do that. I think he gives you tactical flexibility for that reason. And look, I don't think he's the most creative player in the world. I'd be lying if I said that. I don't think he's someone that's going to, uh, you know, break. When I say, I, th- I think he can break lines, but I don't think he's going to find you the killer Martin Odegaard pass, shall we say. Mm. I don't think he's going to unleash shots from 30, 35 yards in the way that Granite Jacker might on the odd occasion. Um, I wouldn't say that his technical level, if you like, is is superior to Granite Xhaka's in that what he does with the ball when he gets in the final third. But I think he's an all-rounder. He's a versatile midfielder. Um, I think his best position is deep. I, I really do. I think that's where he thrives and I think that's where you see the best of him because his reading of the game is really good as well and he sort of th- works really well in cutting out passing lanes and, yeah. and things like that. So I think his best position is deep. But you're right to highlight that he can play in different roles in midfield and if you're Mikel Arteta and you're wanting to tweak things depending on your opponent and you're wanting to have that flexibility and versatility at your disposal, then Ishmael Benacer is someone that, that gives you that. Lovely job. Uh, I didn't get a rating from Tielemans, so I'll get a rating from both of these. So Tielemans and, and Benacer. Tielemans, seven. Benacer, seven and a half. Okay, lovely. It's always broken the form. <laughs> I'll go That's with uh, a seven uh, for Tielemans as well and an eight uh, for Ismail and Benacer. Lovely stuff. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening, by the way. And uh, I hope you, if you've been watching along while this has been premiering at 8am, that you've been leaving your ratings as we go through these. If you have been watching on Catch Up, make sure you leave your ratings for each player down below as well. And importantly, make sure you go and subscribe to the Chronicles of Aguna, where, of course, you can find Harry. Harry, thank you so much for your time uh, this evening slash morning, depending on wherever anyone's listening to this. Appreciate it as always, fella. Tell people they can find you and what you're going to be up to. Thank you so much, mate. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, you can find me at the Chronicles of Aguna, uh, YouTube channel and podcast. Um, take, as I said at the start, taking my foot off the gas a little bit during the World Cup. We've done a few shows uh, where we've sort of focused on some of the big games in the World Cup, but just need a breather, to be honest with you. Um, I've got my Christmas schedule for work when I go back and it is nuts. I'm at two <laughs> games on Boxing Day. Not one, but two. Two, wow. Two. Uh, I'm going from one to the next one. And uh, and so, New Year's yeah. Eve? Do anything New Year's Eve? Is New that... Year's Eve, I'm going to Brighton. Yeah, I'm uh, going to be, I think, assume we'll be at Brighton as well. So that will yep. be uh, driving back from Brighton on New Year's Eve on a 5.30 kickoff. I mean, it's going to be quiet. But there's just something there's something that you sacrifice, isn't there, working in this business? And I think yeah. working and probably getting home at around midnight on New Year's Eve is is one of those. Yeah. Definitely. Well, that's for the Arsenal, so I can live with it. New Year's <laughs> Day, I'm going to Millwall. Um, so, yeah, I've got a really crazy time coming up. So I'm actually quite enjoying putting my feet up, watching the World Cup mm. and um, just scaling back a little bit on the podcast. But once the World Cup is done, uh, we'll be at 100 miles an hour again. So uh, make sure Absolutely. you're subscribed. Indeed. Uh, Chronicles of Guna, you'll be able to find the link to the channel in the description because still Harry's channel name is far too long to include in a video title, <laughs> but uh, you'll be able to find it down in the video description. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the Guna Talk as well if you haven't done so already. There won't be a show tomorrow on Sunday because I am, as I say, I'm taking the weekend off and I've recorded this so you get something on a Saturday, um, but I'll be back as usual on the Monday, so make sure you join us on that Monday morning to get back through it. I'll be reacting to England's embarrassing elimination to Senegal their brilliant progression through to the quarterfinals we'll have to wait and see what eventually happens uh, make sure you drop a like on the video subscribe if you're new and as always of the Arsenal
It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.